Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power in your word, the entrance of which brings light, illuminates our path, uh, brings revelation to us of your mind, breaks yokes, lifts burdens, and does much more, O oh God. We're so grateful. And as we, as we have received the prophetic word and we go into listening to your word to challenge us and change our lives. Lord, please bless it, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And ladies, just to say, the, uh, the Uncommon Woman Conference is one not to miss. Uh, God just keeps making it get better and better. Um, so, hoping you all will be there. Hallelujah. The power of communication. We started this series last week. Um, and uh, we spoke about how the art of communications is the bedrock of every relationship. Uh, the relationship is stronger because communications are stronger. Uh, we spoke about how it's the same in marriage, it's the same with friendship, and critically, uh, because that's our focus, it's the same in our relationship with God. Um, if our communications are strong, our relationship with God is strong. And of course, we spoke about how our adversary understood this and how he hatched a plot that, that the Bible describes for us in Genesis, the third chapter, and caused the, the God's creation, uh, man and woman, our parents, Adam and Eve, uh, to rebel against God. And as soon as they did that, uh, as soon as they disobeyed God, an act of rebellion, uh, the communication lines between them and God was cut, was literally destroyed. And we spoke about the result of that. Once man couldn't talk to God and could, couldn't, couldn't hear God anymore, in fact was hiding from God, we spoke about the negativity that was introduced into the world because once the communications with God broke down, communications with ourselves broke down. And then we spoke about all the negativity that was introduced. And things got so bad that because of this breakdown in communications between man and, and, him, man and God and between man and himself, or man and woman as the case may be, um, and all the things that were introduced, the lying, the shame, the, the rejection, the, the, the words that were no longer wholesome and healing, but words that were hurtful and destructive, the, the destructive criticism, the anger, and all the negativity that was introduced. It eventually led to murder. Things got so bad that God literally decided, I'm going to close everything down. The Bible says in Genesis, the sixth chapter, verses five to eight, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had 
made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. It's a par- powerful picture and powerful words that God himself looked at what he had created and was grieved in his heart. And then he gave a verdict. The Bible says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. God decided it's over. I'm going to shut this chapter. I made them for fellowship, made them for relationship. They have rebelled and turned their backs on me. And not just turn their backs on me, look at the state of things. The lying, the cheating, the destruction, the murder, the anger, the negativity, the darkness. And God said, I think I'm going to end this whole thing and close this chapter. But then verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God had decided it was over. And as his eyes searched the earth and saw evil, wickedness, corruption, filth, iniquity, sin, immorality, lawlessness, violence, he then saw a light in a place. In the midst of that darkness, There was one light, and that light was Noah. And because of him, God held back on what he wanted to do by destroying the entire world. And so, the subtitle for what I want to share with you is Noah's Example. And when we talk about Noah, we've got to talk about the environment in which he lived. Because you see, we must find ourselves in Noah. We must use him as an example to encourage ourselves. He must challenge our lives. And the reason he must, of course because he's in the Bible... But also because our Lord and Savior Jesus references these times by Noah's environment. He says this, Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, the 24th chapter, verses 36 to 39. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. As the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, and drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, no one knows when he's coming, not even the angels. It is only in the heart of the Father. However, he says to us, there are certain signs that can tell you, even if you can't say accurately it's tomorrow, 
or it's next week or next year, you certainly know that you are in the season, in the ballpark. And he says you can look for those signs by looking at Noah's time and some of what you see in Noah's time, you will see in the season. He says the challenge is that people might not do that, but might just get on with life. The drinking and eating, nothing wrong with that. The marrying and giving in marriage, nothing wrong with that. As long as if in doing that, we appreciate the times and the seasons. So he says to us, you've got to look for those signs. The signs you saw in Noah's time, when you see them starkly expressed, then know that it's time for us to be about his business. What were those signs? Number one, a population explosion. The Bible says in verse 1 of, no, of the 6th chapter, men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Men began to, the population began to grow exponentially on the face of the earth. How many will agree that we are there today? By 2030, there will be 8.9 billion people on the earth. If Jesus doesn't come, by 2050, there will be 9.7 billion people on the earth. The conversation today is all about resources and how this exploding population might not have the resources to survive. It was the same in Noah's time. Number two, sexual immorality was rife. The Bible describes these guys that the Bible calls the sons of God. They saw the daughters of men, the Bible says in verse 2. They saw that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. One translation says they took wives of all they desired. They just went with their bodies. These sons of God who we will talk about. They went with their bodies. Whatever their eyes fell on in terms of the opposite sex, they desired and they got it. Immorality became rife and rampant. Does it, does it remind you of the times we are in? Where sexual immorality is at an all-time high. There's a, there's a committed and dedicated, driven agenda to snuff out God's definition of human sexuality. A committed and dedicated attempt to make the person who decides that the Bible is my reference with regards to human sexuality, to make that person seem crazy, seem odd. There's a cancel culture that wants to make things that are outside the scope of what the Bible prescribes as the norm and force everyone to accept it. The third thing was an increase in demonic activity. The sons of God saw the daughters of men and took whichever one of them they desired. Now, the question is really, who are these sons of God? 
The name is actually a bit of a, a misnomer. They might have been sons of God. But by this time, they were no longer acting as sons of God. There are, there are three schools of thought as to who these sons of God were. I subscribe to the school of thought that these sons of, to two of the schools of thought, that these sons of God were probably fallen angels that had either come personally or taken possession of people's bodies to use them. How do I know that? Because the Bible talks in Jude, the first chapter, and verses 6 to 7, it talks about these strange angelic beings who couldn't keep their proper domain. They left their own abode. That he had, and the judgment of God on them was fierce. His reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah. And what was their crime? And the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having they had given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and are set forth as an example, suffering the ve vengeance of eternal fire. This beings who we believe are the part of the fallen angels, had come from their own abode, had taken over the bodies of men, twisted those men's minds into sexual perversion, into lust, and used their bodies to go after these women, God's own creation here on earth. The result was that they produced offspring that the Bible calls giants. But even more than that, there was a satanic agenda in their coming. Because you know, Satan understood that by the word of God, the woman would give birth to seed that would bruise his head. And so his aim was to corrupt the genetic pool of humanity. Because you see, if the woman was possessed by some fallen angel, there would be no bruising of the head of Satan. But God found one man who refused to be corrupted by all that was going on. The question we must ask ourselves, if God searches your family, will the, will the, will, will the, will the word be said, but Agu, but Shola, but Siam, but Phil. If God searches your church, will he be able to say, but because he found a person who had positioned himself to receive his grace. Number four, the evil in the heart of man. The Lord saw that wickedness of, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. There was evil everywhere. How many agree with me that 
the evil that we deal with today is unprecedented. The abuse of children, the trafficking of women. You know, just the thought of it. I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine, and he's in the forefront of the battle against sex trafficking. Just, just, just to think that someone is uprooted from the safety and comfort of a family and taking thousands of miles and, 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 and is now confined to a room as a sex slave for money. The wickedness in the mind of man. Just like Noah's time. Number five, the widespread corruption and violence. The Bible says in verse 11, Genesis 6, the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Is it not the same today? Corruption, corruption, corruption. We talk about Nigeria, corruption. We talk about Africa, corruption. And don't think it's any different in the more civilized worlds. It's just a lot more sophisticated. The heart of man corrupted. Everything that is sacred to God, there's an, there's an attempt to corrupt it. Corrupt the institution of marriage. Corrupt our children's minds. And the violence, the anger that is in people's hearts. That's why there's no... There's no, gone are the days where people could compromise and where people could talk. Even our politics here in the United Kingdom has descended into tribal warfare. The violence that's in people's hearts. The world was in such a state of dysfunction. And this is the way that the Message Bible puts it. And I love the language of the Message Bible. As far as God was concerned, Genesis 6, 11 to 13, the earth had become a sewer. There was violence everywhere. God took one look and saw how bad it was. Everyone corrupt and corrupting. Life itself corrupt to the core. God said to Noah, it's over. It's the end of the human race. The violence is everywhere. I am making a clean sweep. But in that sea, in that cesspit, in that darkness, in that pool of corruption, God's grace was still at work. Can someone say amen? So what was Noah's story? Why do I raise him as an example as we talk about the power of communication? The scripture introduces God's grace on him. It says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I love the message translation. But Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. You see, the church has to, has to come to the point where we understand that if we are following Christ, then we are going to be different. We are peculiar people. Some might call us strange. We can't try to blend with the world. 
So the Bible says God looked down and saw that Noah was different. Noah was actually countercultural. The culture around him was filled with immorality. The culture around him was driven by violence. The culture was one where the hearts of men were evil. It was the norm. The newspapers pushed it. The television pushed it. Social media pushed that culture. But in the midst of all that, there was a man, Noah, who was different. My question to us, can, 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 will God say that about us? That in the midst of all that is happening, there is a person who is different. And God liked what he saw. What is Noah's story? Verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God. The message says it like this. This is the story of Noah. Noah was a good man, a man of integrity in his community. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What was it that made Noah different? That's the question. What was it that allowed Noah to receive God's grace? What is it that makes Noah a standard bearer for the church today? What is it in Noah's story that challenges you and challenges me? There are three things. And in a sense, this is really the message. The first thing is that Noah walked with God. He had fellowship with God. He had an intimate relationship with God. His communication line with God was open 24-7. He listened. He spoke to God and he obeyed God. In the midst of all this, craziness that is going on. He gets an instruction from God. It was a strange instruction. Build an ark. He was given the dimensions of the ark. Now you need to transport yourself to Noah's time as he started building this ark, obeying God. Do you know that he would have been the butt of jokes? Do you know that he would have been ridiculed? Do you know that he probably would have been persecuted? He would have been called a fool. Where is this ark going to sail? You're building it on land so far away from the sea. When you walk with God and you obey God, there are times he will ask you to take a position that will bring about one of those things. People might mock you, laugh at you, ridicule you. People might persecute you, but we learn from Noah that if God has said, then we take the position and we do what God has said. Can someone say amen to that? Because you see, what was happening was the kingdom culture was standing against the prevailing culture. The God of his kingdom had told him to do something, but there was pressure to conform, pressure to compromise. But Noah obeyed God. It's a challenge for us with regards to our walk with God. What is your walk with God like? I ask myself, what is my walk with God like? 
What is my intimacy with God like? What is my life of obedience to God? Remember the standard for loving God. It's not what we say or the songs we sing, I love you Lord. The standard for loving God by Jesus himself is that we do what he says we should do. So many say they love God, but their actions send a message to heaven that don't even consider them as lovers of God. So what commended him to God's grace? The fact that he walked with God. The second thing that commended him to God's grace, as the Bible says, is that he was perfect in his generation. He was perfect in his generation. Now, instantly, that rules you and I out. Because we are far from perfection. But then, it's obvious that it wasn't speaking about perfection the way you and I would see it. Because, of course, you know instantly that, but Noah wasn't perfect. Shortly after the flood, he fell into a pool of imperfection in a drunken state. So how could a man who got drunk have been perfect? So it wasn't really that it was perfection. The Message Bible gives us an, an insight into what it was. Because God doesn't want perfect people. God doesn't, doesn't demand perfect people. Because God understands the fallen nature. Jesus wouldn't have come if we had the capacity to be perfect ourselves. What God demands is integrity. And in integrity, we walk towards ultimate perfection. We might never find it here on earth, but it's a goal. But God demands integrity. That's why the message translation says he was a man of integrity. And what is integrity? It's honesty. It's truthfulness. It's having strong moral principles and our moral our moral compass is set by the word of God, not by the culture of the day. So we ask ourselves, how honest am I as a human being? The lies we tell, the half-truths we tell, the fudging of issues that we're involved in. How truthful am I as a human being? And is my moral compass set not by Vanity Fair or Cosmo or GQ or worse. At least those ones are okay in some way. My moral compass is not set by the culture of the day. My moral compass is set by the word of God. Integrity is being whole and undivided. It means really that what we do and say in public is what we do and say behind closed doors. And whilst we might hide from ourselves, can I just let you know that nothing is hidden from God? He sees when we are outside and we are Jekyll, and he sees when we are inside and we are Hyde. He sees when we have multiple personalities. The, 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 the person who comes to church on Sunday is different from the person who was there last night. And someone is feeling uncomfortable already because they were there last night. But, God, but, but, but you look okay on Sunday. 
You've shed the alter ego and come with the church persona. Integrity is being whole and undivided. Joshua, pardon me, Noah was a man of integrity. The third thing about Noah that commended him to God's grace was that he was a a just man, a good man. He was kind. He was considerate. He was thoughtful. He was respectful. Aren't we shocked at the levels of hardness of people's hearts we find in church? Aren't we shocked at how inconsiderate people can be in the house of God? Shouldn't this be the place that we come to and experience kindness? Unprecedented kindness. We should be the most considerate human beings on earth. The most thoughtful, the most respectful. The golden rule of life, which incidentally is used more by non-Christians than Christians. I'm sure some of you have been to all kinds of seminars where they have talked about the golden rule of life. And then it dawns on you that, hang on a second, that's from the Bible. The golden rule of life, Matthew 7 verse 12. The message says here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and the prophets and this is what you get. Everything in 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 the law and the prophets, literally the Old Testament part of the Bible, especially the first five books of the Bible, everything ends on this note. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Noah was that kind of man. And as a result of him being that kind of man, the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, it was a question of alignment. And we say this is the year of realignment. Once he aligned in, a, in the three things that, I, that we spoke about, grace just arrested him. And let me end by talking about the reach of grace. So, I want to tell you a story. So I'm going to call three young men to come and stand in front of me and some ladies behind them, four four people. Listen to this story. This is how it works. In front of me, in front of me. Eternity passed. The Trinity in heaven. Jesus, the Father and the Son. Sitting on their throne. They decide, God the Father decides, because of his fellowship with the Son, the intimacy, the relationship, enjoying it, in eternity past, decides to create another seven billion of such sons and daughters for seven billion expressions of fellowship. But it starts with two, Adam and Eve. 
And then he creates Adam and Eve. But because he's God, even though it's just Adam and Eve, because God doesn't stay in time, he has really finished creation. So whilst it was Adam and Eve, it was also Agu and Bola and Dame really, because God has finished before he starts. And when he creates them, for a while, he enjoys what he wanted to enjoy. So much so that he would periodically leave his throne and go down in the cool of the evening to fellowship with them. This was his habit until Satan entered a serpent. The serpent slid up to man and woman, Adam and Eve, our parents, but with us in our parents. And the serpent seduced them. Why don't you be like God? What was he saying? This God is not as good as he says he is. He's keeping the best part for himself. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. They fell for the seduction. She ate the fruit. But when she ate it, because of God's order, the world still wasn't in disarray. The man had a chance, guys, to still stop that thing. But the man fell to the same seduction. And as soon as she gave it to him to eat, the world went into disarray. God is sitting on his throne. Jesus is there next to him. God looks down and his heart is grieved. He sees the wickedness, the evil. He sees the violence, the immorality. He sees the desecration of sacred things. He sees how they try to desecrate his image, how they try to desecrate the institution of marriage, and his heart is grieved. And so he decides that he's going to destroy everything. But then as he searches the earth, darkness everywhere, he sees a light. It's in the home of Noah. One man who has refused to be defiled by the culture. One man who has taken a beating, a battering, the mocking, the taunting, the jibes, the persecution, but has said, for God and his kingdom, I will stand. And so he decides not to destroy it. But then, he's separated from man. He puts together some makeshift arrangement. But it's makeshift. It doesn't really solve the problem because man is still separated from him. But he has a plan in his mind. The plan is a very simple one. Man can't do it on his own. It's impossible. Can't measure up to the standard. It's too messed up. The sin has got hold of him. So what will I do? I will extend favor to man. Unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. What we need, he says to the Trinity in council, is someone to go. 
Because I, as God, I, I have to judge sin. The wages of sin is always death. That's why I wanted to wipe the whole thing, wipe everyone away. But if someone can go, Noah has played his part. He has stopped it from being destroyed. If someone can go and take on my anger against this sin and pay the price, then they have a chance to be reconciled to me and we can continue our fellowship. Jesus leans over to him and says, I'll go. It's written for you in the book of Revelations. Once Jesus said that, says he was slain from before the foundations of the earth. He died before he died. Because he said then, in eternity past, I'll go. And so he goes. Grace actually gets up from the throne. The personification of grace. And steps out of eternity. And steps into time. Driven by a love that you and I can never comprehend. The angels don't understand it. You and I can't even understand it. Because we know ourselves and we marvel that anyone could love us like that. And grace had an agenda. And the agenda is expressed in these three men. You see, what grace wanted to do was to get them back to the Father. So grace stepped out of eternity to time to perform that. Now, three gentlemen turn around. And this could be any one of us. They're going away from him. Getting on with their lives. Living in rebellion. But then grace reaches out to the first person. And his own is relatively simple. Grace touches his heart. He responds. He comes to grace. Grace embraces him. And he's sorted out. That was easy. But then for the second person, grace reaches out to him. But there's too much in life. There are the ladies who are pulling him away. There's the money, the material things. He's, he's, he's going, but grace is determined to hold him back. And grace eventually pulls him out of their grasp and embraces him. That's the second person. And then there's the third person. And God gave us an example of what happens in this case. Even though the Bible says he hardened his heart, God wanted to show us by his example what a hard heart does. Grace has stepped out of eternity. Grace has reached out to others. Grace reaches out to the third person. Holds him. But he refuses to respond to grace. Grace holds him, but he refuses to respond to grace. He hardens his heart, but grace keeps holding him. Grace won't let go of him. Grace keeps going after him. He escapes, but grace goes with him. Grace follows him, but he hardens his heart completely. There will be some like that. Unfortunately, the place that was reserved for those fallen angels will sadly have some who hardened their heart and refused the call of grace, refused the pleas of grace, refused the entreaties of grace. Those who hardened their hearts 
and said, no matter the price that grace has paid, stepping out of eternity into time, hanging on a cross, being spattered by its own creation, they hardened their hearts. I pray that there be nobody under the sound of my voice who will be in that category. Thank God for amazing grace. The
like to, as we end, I'd like to make um, an altar call. If you're in here, you're watching online, and Grace has arms open, and you've never run into those open arms. The third person was a reality, unfortunately. I certainly hope that will not be anybody's portion that I know. And so if you're in here and you want to start that journey, run into the arms of grace, if you would slip your hands up, if you're in here, uh, just slip the hand up. Let me see the hand. Anybody saying Please pray for me. I want to run into the open arms of grace. Go and slip the hands up wherever you are. I know that the lights are uh, in my face, so I can't see. Anybody saying, please pray for me? Thank you, Lord. The first call, you're online. You want to receive that grace that is the gift of salvation. Just... I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in here? Anybody else? Any other hands? Father, we thank you. We bless you. You know what? I'm going to come down. And if, you, if your hand is slipped up, do you want to come forward? Just, I'm going to come down. The second call I want to make is you know that you have gone astray. Maybe like the second person, you've responded to some of those things and other things. And you want to realign yourself like Noah so that grace finds you. Um, will you come forward as well? Go on, come. Come from where you are. Come. If you're in here, come. If you're online, be, you'll be prayed for. Anybody saying, I, I just want to sort this out with God. Don't worry about people next to you. This is a, this is a personal thing. Come from where you are. Come. Are we waiting for anyone? I just need to sort this out. I want to realign myself with God. I want to give my life to Christ. Maybe I want to realign myself with God. You know you've gone astray. You know you've stepped out of turn. You know you're not where you should be. God bless you. Bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? We'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. This is the year of realignment. It's a call to realignment. Father, we thank you and we bless you. Can I have one of the ministers um, talk to this young man? Can I have one of the Reignite team? Somebody from Reignite, please. No, you don't have to get them. You can do it yourself, Sachi. One of you can do it. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Bless you. Let me shake your hands. God bless you. This whole thing was for you. Go on. Go on, go with him. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Come on, come on. Come. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Can I have another person? Hallelujah. Amen. Go on. Hallelujah. Go on, go on, celebrate God. Celebrate God, church. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Father, we bless you. Amen. And so as we, um, as we come to an end of the service, I just want to speak into your life. I want to declare over your life that grace has found you. 
Grace will keep you. Grace will take you home. I want to declare over your life that grace will align you with God's plans and God's purposes. I want to declare over your life that by God's grace, this year will be the best year of your life yet. I declare over your life that by God's grace, Every plan and purpose that he has for you will be manifest in your life in the name of Jesus. I declare by your life that by God's grace, your testimony will be that you lifted your voice, you called unto him, he answered and showed you great and mighty things. I want to declare by your life that grace will take you there and that grace will eventually see you home. If you believe that and you're in-house, can you say an amen? If you're online, can you type an amen into the, sh- into the chat box? Go and give God a clap offering. Hallelujah. Amen and amen.